This is the Freedom Fighters Podcast with Phil and Nemia. We give young freedom fighters around the world a voice. In today's third episode, our guest is Freedom Fighter Natalia from Belarus. After the Soviet Union collapsed, Belarus became an independent democracy. However, after the first and only free election in 1994, the ever-since-governing President Alexander Lukashenko transformed the Young Republic into an autocratic dictatorship. Also in the 2020 presidential election, he again committed massive voter fraud and arrested oppositional candidates. However, this time the Belarusian people had enough and took to the streets. Since August, every week millions of people in the whole country protest to have their voices finally heard. One of them is our today's guest, Natalia, who is engaged in the Belarusian democracy movement. All right, thank you, Natalia, for joining us. It's very nice to have you with us. Maybe for um, introduction, uh, you could just tell us a few things about you. Who are you and what are you doing? Of course. Thank you very much for having me here on your podcast today. Um, my name is Natalia Müller. I'm a student in the Faculty of International Development at the University of Vienna. I work in public administration here in the city of Munich. And in my free time, I am an activist for the solidarity protest in the city of Munich for the democracy movement in Belarus because I was born and raised in this country. Can you describe how the situation in Belarus has developed in the recent months? Um, well, the situation is very critical still. Um, ever since the protests have started in the month of August, following the fraudulent presidential elections on August 9th, um, I would actually say it has even gotten a little bit worse. On one side, you have the peaceful protest, which consists of the majority of Belarusians who have voted for Svetlana Tikhanovskaya as president and who have been robbed of their voices collectively and have been going out to the streets to protest the um, fraudulent results. And on the other hand, of course, you have the violent regime of Alexander Lukashenko, who is actively trying to suppress the voices and the collective movement of everyone who is standing um, up against him and his regime. And while the protesters themselves are very peaceful, they go out and um, with flowers in their hands and they are absolutely non-violent and never armed. Um, the state police and the right police are... Um, incredibly hostile towards them and there's um, a lot of incarceration and fines towards people who even dare so much as to show somehow that they're um, against the current president and for uh, system change. It's it's actually still very troubling and it's it seems as if it's not going to die down anytime soon. I know a lot of people um, who are who have been detained in the past months due to their participation in these protests and they have no desire to stop going out to the streets, to stop protesting at all, because there's no going back for them. A system 
um, that is so broken that it's willing to let its people die on the hands of the COVID-19 pandemic, a system that is so broken that it has no desire to help its people develop any sort of economic um, prospects betterment for the future um, needs to be replaced. And it's time for the Belarusian system to be replaced, to become a democratic republic, something it should have become years and decades ago. And um, it's just a question of time now. And many people realize that, which is why they're not backing down, but neither is Alexander Lukashenko and is his regime. So it's... Um, yeah, it's a struggle between both powers, so to speak. The collective voices of the people of Belarus and um, Alexander Lukashenko and everyone who is still supporting him. Maybe you could also tell our listeners a bit about the um, history and development of these protests or the background, how this regime evolved and how it was also the years before. Of course, that is an excellent question. And I think that in order to understand the current protest, you need to go back all the way before to um, the fall of the Soviet Republic and um, the first election where Alexander Lukashenko was elected and understand the whole development that took place during these decades and how it came to tumble down just um, a couple of months ago. So um, after the fall of the Soviet Republic, Belarus uh, has declared itself a free and independent state and held democratic elections just a couple of years later with Alexander Lukashenko being elected the first president. And unfortunately, he remained the first and only president Belarus has seen so far. Um, Interesting enough, um, these elections were indeed democratic because he was uh, someone who was from the people. He had no political um, knowledge before or practice whatsoever. He was um, the head of a collective farm. So he's a farmer. And the people really believe that someone who has been part of the people could represent them the best in the government, which is why they voted for him. In the following years, he has shown very strong alignment with Soviet era restrictions and politics, which is not something that um, Belarusians who have yearned for democracy wanted to see. And therefore, there's been um, processes of failed impeachment, unfortunately, uh, disappearances of oppositional political leaders, critics, journalists um, who have also been found dead under suspicious circumstances. And um, 26 of years on Alexander Lukashenko for Belarus have been marked by um, little economic development and a lot of fear uh, on the behalf of the people in Belarus. Every sign of protest against Alexander Lukashenko and his regime was met with force and the people are just tired. I think there's three important factors that have to be acknowledged in order to understand these protests. It's not just the fraudulent elections. First and foremost, um, it's the horrible economic situation in the country. There's millions of people who are out of jobs. And if they have jobs, they're terribly paid. I think the median income in Belarus is about 400 euros a month, while the prices are um, really Europe-like. And it's really hard to finance anything in order to have a regular life, which is really hard, especially for younger people who want to build the future in Belarus. There's little economic development, and I think this situation is really frustrating for a lot of people. Another important part is the COVID-19 pandemic, which has been incredibly deadly um, in Belarus. And 
the response of the government has been nothing but an absolute failure in this situation because Belarusians have been led to die due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The government has vehemently refused to act upon this deadly pandemic. It has refused to acknowledge it as such, and Belarusians have been led to handle it on their own. They had to find out collectively what measures they have to take, how to support the medical personnel, and everything they have seen from the president so far was nothing but mockery. And it's just a sign for them that this government does not care about their lives, nor their opinions, and it has been a strong sign for them that it has to change. And of course, this all happened in the election year 2020, where also many candidates that were capable and met with a lot of um, optimism from the people have presented themselves as capable of bringing the change that is much needed to Belarus. And all of them have been either incarcerated or had to flee the country. And I think this, um, all these aspects came together in this election. And when it was clear that the people have aligned around uh, Lana Tikhanovska to elect her as their leader, or even as a leader in time to represent Belarus until it could held proper, fair elections, they have been robbed of their voice once again when Alexander Lukashenko has declared himself as the winner of this election, and this is why people went out to the streets. They said, we cannot handle this any longer. We need our voices to be heard. It doesn't matter what the cause is, whether it is that they've lost someone who was dear to them in the pandemic, or that they have um, seen no economic prospects of development for them whatsoever, or just the need for change and the urge to voice their voices in a democratic way. There's a lot of factors that have played together for the people to align, to come together and to protest for change in Belarus. So what are the goals of your protest? So what are you fighting for? What would be your your vision for Belarus once the protests have succeeded? That is an excellent question in the ways that you formed it, because these protests are really not against something or someone. They're technically for something. The protests in Belarus are first and foremost for Belarus. They're neither pro-Russian nor are they pro-European. Um, They're really for fair and democratic new presidential elections in Belarus because the people have not known something like this in decades. They just want someone in charge who they've elected themselves. It doesn't matter if it's Svetlana Tikhanovskaya or someone entirely else. They just want their voices to matter. On another hand, they, of course, want the political prisoners to be free, which are now consisting of many um, oppositional political leaders or journalists or just simple people that have been detained uh, because they have participated in these protests. And of course, a lot of people now demand that those who have wronged the public um, meaning the state police, the riot police, everyone in this administration that has been part of this fraudulent and violent system is being brought to justice. So this is also an important part because I don't know if you've seen these images from Belarus. When you're being detained, you either are lucky that you get um, to spend 24 hours in the prison at Okrestina, or you could face a higher charge of several uh, days in the prison where you are being tortured and beaten badly and mentally absolutely abused to the very core and 
um, in order to break people's bodies and spirit uh, for them not to participate in these protests anymore. So the people need to see that there's a justice system that works, which is why um, they need a system change now. And this is what they're protesting for. What we have also seen in the last months is the support from Putin and Russia towards Alexander Lukashenko. And I was wondering how this is perceived in the public in Belarus. Now that Putin and Russia is interfering that much, that you have already um, Russian policemen in the streets in Belarus and um, Europe is also trying to help the democracy movement with sanctions. Do you think there is now evolving um, some kind of fight between, between the systems or between the blocks? And also especially how is Russia perceived in Belarus, which always used to be a close ally to Russia? That is an interesting question because I think it is most certainly a fight between the systems and that Belarus has found itself in the middle even though it doesn't want to participate. The thing is it's open to um, allies from all sides. This is why I said that this is not an anti-Russia or pro-Russia protest and neither is this pro or anti the other side. In a new Belarus, we would like to participate in an open society with a lot of different allies uh, because we really need strong bonds in order to develop the best possible nation for ourselves. And that can be either Russia or the EU or, I don't know, any other alliance. But the key point here is that there's just two completely opposite strong powers against each other. The EU stands for democracy, for freedom of speech, for freedom of expressing one's own opinion. And we all know that in Russia, these things are barely existent anymore. And this is why Belarus has been a close ally to Russia, because technically they're both in the same when it comes to suppressing its own people. And therefore, under Vladimir Putin, of course, who has voiced his support to Alexander Lukashenko, it has been extremely difficult for the Belarusian people to assess the situation because it was very clear from the beginning, if Lukashenko does not have Putin's support, he would be long gone. But now, of course, there we don't know what the support looks like. We know that there's unofficially uh, Russian soldiers roaming the streets in Belarus. So we have the unofficial military support from Russia to the regime. And maybe there's also some financial support, strategic support. We don't know. And on the other hand, we have the EU, which supports the pro-democracy movement, of course, which helps with the sanctions against the regime, which helps with financial support to those who are being either detained or fired because they are striking, for example. So therefore, it's a very interesting power play here. And I think both of the sides are incredibly careful about their steps because I don't think either of them want to see Ukraine 2.0 happen in Belarus. You mentioned that the protests are more about renewing Belarus. Are there also a bit about defining what Belarus is. I mean, Belarus is quite um, quite a young nation. And um, for many years, there was a strong alliance with Russia. Even the, the idea of a union state existed, although it was toppled in recent years, even by Lukashenko himself. And what we also now see in the protests is that the old flag, the white, red, white flag arising more and more um, in the protests, while 
The old flag, which is the official flag of Belarus, is actually just a remake of the Soviet-era flag. So can we observe the rebirth of a Belarusian nation during the protests? Absolutely. I wouldn't even say it uh, as a rebirth or phrase it as a rebirth. I would say it's the birth of a nation because back in, I think, 1918, when Belarus as such has existed as an independent state, it was for a very short time because then it became part of the Soviet Union. And then it has existed under the Soviet reign and has known no independence, no sovereignty and no feeling as a nation on its own, you know, and what is happening now, the people are feeling for the first time as part of a nation. This is something has never happened before in their lifetime. When they went somewhere and they were asked, what is it like to be Belarusian or where you come from? And it's like Belarus, where, where is that? What is that country even like? Because everybody perceived it as a smaller Russia or even part of Russia. And to make it clear, Belarus or Belarusian people have no interest in uh, aligning forces with Russia as to become one nation. They do not want one whole state, which includes Belarus and Russia together. They want to stay on their own. They want to be sovereign and they want to be Belarus as such, not small Russia, not white Russia or whatever. They want to be Belarus, something that is independent from Russia. This is also a sign that is shown actively in the protests. They're not carrying pro-Russian flags or pro-Russian slogans. They're not carrying pro-unity slogans. They just want to feel what it's like to be on their own as a nation for the first time. And this flag, the symbolic behind the historical flag of Belarus, the white, red, white flag, is a clear sign of that. They, they want to experience the birth of a nation and them coming together as such is also something that is new to them and they're rejoicing in it. And it's wonderful to witness, really, because even though there have been some protests in the past against the regime and against the unity with Russia, something like we're witnessing now has never happened before in Belarusian history. And I think the people, as well as the government, they're both overwhelmed with what is happening. But of course, they perceive it from different sides. The state is... Um, is painting it as something violent, something negative, something that is disturbing the peace in the country. But in fact, these protests are for peace, therefore peaceful transition of power, therefore a new Belarus, a beautiful Belarus where no one has to be afraid to speak up against the system because the system works for them and not against them. The system does not abuse them. The system is built upon trust that goes both sides. And it's, it's really a historical moment in Belarus, really. That is very interesting what you're, what you're telling us. Um, maybe you could um, actually elaborate more on that because you have just been in Belarus. And I think it would be very interesting to hear what the people themselves say. What experiences did you make? What is the feeling in the country? Are the people still optimistic? Um, what are they saying? What are they telling you? So yeah, what is the overall impression you had from your trip to Belarus? The feelings of the people in Belarus are both 
positive and negative at the same time. As I already said, they're witnessing the birth of their nation. They're coming together in unity and in solidarity, and they're experiencing so many positive feelings like happiness and excitement and optimism, especially when they're participating in this mass protest. Because when you go out of your home, you always fear that you might not come back because you might be detained, you might be arrested, you might be fined, and so on. But when you join other people on the street, first it's five, and then it's 15, and then it's 50 and 500, and then it's 5,000, you experience this adrenaline rush in yourself, and you realize you're part of something bigger, something that stands for something positive and optimistic. It's, it's indescribable to them. So even though they they have a lot of fear in them, they still feel a lot of happiness as well. And of course, on the other hand, the fear is, I think, is also a factor that is um, crucial to the people that are against the regime but are not participating in the protest because they are scared. When you in any way show um, support for the opposition, which is mostly um, shown in the white, red, white symbolic, like carrying a flag, wearing a t-shirt, um, having flowers in your hands when you go out in the street. Yes, even such simple things as going out of your house with flowers can be as dangerous as carrying a weapon in Belarus. So many of them are afraid to lose their jobs, to lose their place in universities, and to have their whole livelihoods destroyed because they have been cited at a protest. Now in Belarus, it's even dangerous to post pictures on Instagram because even then it, you can be singled out and be fined even though you were not actively participating in the protests on the street. You still showed a sign of support for the opposition on social media. So you will be fined or you will be facing jail time in worst cases. And um of course, people are scared. They're afraid. And at the same time, I think their spirits are really high right now and they remain unbroken still. Because the majority of from what I've heard, and I have interviewed actively many people who have participated in these protests, they're saying, yes, I was beaten, I was arrested, I was tortured physically and mentally. But the next day I got out and I went straight to the protest. And I think it's absolutely remarkable. These people are just not scared anymore of the system. The ones that are actively participating in these protests, they, they know that there's no going back. If these protests die down now, what the regime is going to do will be horrible. It will be vengeful and there's no way of predicting how bad it will be reflected upon the people in Belarus, especially those who have been singled out as active participators in these movements. So you have very mixed feelings. And I think um, it also depends on which parts of, of the nation you look at. Of course, in Minsk, where the main action takes place, there's most of the people that are excited and positive and optimistic. In other parts of the nation, there are smaller cities, of course, and life goes on as usual. So there's not like people roaming with weapons in the street and mass protesters on the other side. People just go out to work, to school. They go out to buy groceries. Um, the supermarkets are still full. So the system is still functioning. But then every Sunday or every Monday, there's a, this little space in time where the whole country gets interrupted. It's, it's being shook up, the whole system. And it's just being moved, but in a better direction. 
maybe this kind of peace that the people still for the regime or not actively participating, trying to keep, not worth keeping because it's not actually peace. It's like residing in, in a vacuum because you don't know what it's actually like to live in a better place. I know that a lot of people are fearful of war. They're fearful um, after they're witnessing what happened in Ukraine. But of course, it can get worse, but it can also get better. And I think we at least need to try to make a change for the better, and which is why we needed new leaders and we needed free and fair elections, and which is why the voices of the majority, which can be clearly seen are roaming the streets in protest, need to be heard. And what the regime is doing is just trying to suppress them, but it's not going to win. We all know that it's just a matter of time until this thing gets out of hand and we just anticipate it in fear and excitement at the same time. Well, I hope you will be right and uh, the protests will have success. Uh, but you also mentioned that the European Union needs to be careful since Russia has also some interests. The people of Belarus are afraid that something like uh, in Ukraine um, repeats. So what would be your wish, what should we both as people in a Western country and what should the politicians in Germany, in the European Union do about the situation in Belarus? How can we support the democracy movement? That is an excellent question, really, because we as Belarusians have been asking ourselves the same question. And I think um, Financial support is crucial, especially for those who have lost their jobs due to the participation in these movements. I mean, it can always be perceived in a bad way from someone who wants to twist the truth and perceive it as like, look, there's actually people from the outside who are paying the protesters. But I mean, you have to risk it in order to actually help the people, because most of the people who are not participating, they're really just scared to lose their financial support, because if that happens in Belarus, you basically are done. You know, in other countries, you get social services, for example, or some sort of financial support from the system when you don't have a job. In Belarus, you get fined for it because you are leeching off the system that does not provide you with a job. It's a paradox. So a lot of people are scared because they will lose their financial support. And I think this is um, something that the EU, as well as other supporting nations, could really help us with. On another hand, and this is something that I have also asked the participants in my interviews, is the moral support. And I think this is something that uh, we, as the diaspora of Belarusians in Munich, have been trying to do most and foremost, is uh, to go out to the streets, to use our collective voice, um, to raise awareness for these people that have their voice taken away from them in Belarus, and to engage in an open dialogue with other people who want to show their support. A woman that I've interviewed has told me that in about midsummer, when the political opponents were all detained, they felt really hopeless. They saw that the system is going to betray them once more. But once they saw that in each and every country, Belarusian people that were living as expats in these countries have gone out of the way to organize mass protest against these detainments and for the people in Belarus to show their support, they felt 
inspired. They were like, we have so much support from the outside. And I think this has contributed to them going out and be strong and, um, you know, participate in these protests in the first place, because we have shown them that they should not give up. We have told them that they have to be strong and they, they have to stay on track with this. And uh, which is why we keep on organizing protests here in Munich. And Germany is actually one of the most active countries with several cities all over the country, which um, organize mass protests almost every week for Belarus, for the Belarusian civilian society. And we are always inviting other people. We are inviting politicians from each party. So everyone who wants to show their solidarity with the protests should go out and there's a million ways to help. So I think this um, moral support, it's it's a key to keep the protesters motivated and to show them that they're not alone in their fight. You were talking about trying to organize the movement and trying to show uh, solidarity. And as you might know, our podcast also has the aim to encourage people in other countries to fight for their freedom. So I think what might be very interesting for them, because it is such a decentralized movement in Belarus, that you could maybe tell us a bit about how you organize. You spoke about the Telegram channel, for example, um, which tries to spread the message. Um, also because obviously the media in Belarus is quite strongly censored and controlled by the government. So maybe you could tell us a bit about that. Okay. Um, also, very interesting thing. Um, there really is no one party or one leader or one leadership group that collects the people or tells them what to do. I think it's the um, collective struggle that they all share and the collective memory that uh, they have in common, which makes them uh, unify on their own. And the ideas really are coming from all the sites, all the different people, and um, of course, online media and uh, channels such as Telegram channels are crucial in this, but they're not essential because on many occasions, the internet is being shut off in Belarus in order to prevent the people from gathering in large numbers. But it doesn't matter because now they know, okay, every Sunday there's a march under a new slogan. There was the partisan march. There was the march for the political prisoners. And each month, Monday now, I think for over two weeks now, they have been the seniors march. So people just collect on their own. And that brings us again to the birth of the Belarusian nation. Neighbors get to know each other. People get talking on the street. When we were driving in the taxi from the train station, you talk to the taxi driver and you then you go out shopping and you talk to the cashier and you recognize that spark in the other person. And you talk about and you see, hey, this person thinks alike. And this is how people connect. So it's, of course, through social media channels, but it's also through um, the shared experience. And it's just no secret that the majority of Belarusians hate the system and they hate this government and they hate the ones that represent this government. It's not just Alexander Lukashenko. It's every person that is still supporting the system, every governor, every minister, every policeman, even though they might not arrest people that are protesting. They might show them some mercy or let them leave when they're being um, chased. You're still part of the system if you are still supporting it by participating in it. And therefore, when you go out to the streets, and as I said, you meet people, 
and then you're being chased together by the riot police. There's people opening the doors for you to hide in and their flats and then you collect their numbers. And then next time you go out, you know, I know there's a person that lives in this building and I can seek refuge there. This feeling of unity, the solidarity, the the help that the Belarusians receiving from one another is what makes them really unstoppable. An unstoppable force, I would say. The the feeling of coming together is shown in this big mass protest that we are seeing in the mass media, but the mass media is not showing you the single little protest like hanging a wide red white flag from your balcony or uh, planting your flowers in a wide red white column, you know. It's it's really the little things that show you that, hey, look at the symbol. There's people out there that are like me. And then you, uh, when it's your neighbor, you get to talking. And then there's other neighbors that join. And then there's a whole building that finds a unity and um, they connect. And then they organize little street festivals where they celebrate. And they, they sing Belarusian songs and they dance to Belarusian music. And these the decentralization process of the protest movement in Belarus is something that the government just cannot prevent. Of course, they can go out and try to silence the big protest and uh, shoot people with water cannons. But people uniting with one another as little unities within their own households, for example, within their work environment, within their school environment. This is something the government just cannot stop. And therefore, I think it's just too afraid to acknowledge that it will lose this fight. One thing that is particularly interesting about the protests in Belarus is the prominent position of women within these protests. So the presidential candidates against Lukashenko was a woman. We see many women on the streets and they are more present than on many other protests we, we have in other countries or we had in the past. So what is the reason behind that? Well, for one, the opposition that has formed around Svetlana Tihanovska was just fate, I would say, because, um, as you know, there were mainly male presidential candidates, and especially the most prominent ones were Viktor Babariko. And before that, there was Sergei Tihanovsky, who is the husband of Svetlana Tihanovska, and Valery Tsipkalo. And all of them were either detained or had to fear for their life and therefore to flee the country. And then their wives or the um, chief of their electoral college, they united and they formed this incredible trio of three powerful inspirational women that faced a dictator and of course also a sexist because Lukashenko himself said that the president's job is a man's job and the woman's place is to build a family. And it should just be fatal to him that three women, especially in the center of it, a housewife and the mother first and foremost, should form the center of his opposition. I think it's brilliant. And um, why the women have been mainly the face of the movement is because in the first evenings after the election night, it was mostly men on the streets that were fighting with the riot police. And what followed was a horrible wave of violence. They were shot, they were detained, they were tortured. And when the women of Belarus saw that happening, they said, we cannot let this go just like that. You know, um, due to the very traditional being of the Belarusians, it's uh, crucial that you do not use any kind of force against a woman. Violence against women is extremely looked down upon. 
it's um, something that is really disgraceful in this country. Uh, I'm not saying it's not happening. I'm just saying it's disgraceful. As a man, you are not supposed to strike a woman. And therefore, when the women went out, they knew that the violence against them would not be as harsh as against their men. And it was husbands, it was fathers, it was brothers or just friends. And they needed to show that they are nonviolent because, of course, men are perceived as more violent in the system because they build up barricades and they're actively fighting back. The riot police, women were perceived as not to be this aggressive. And they went out with flowers in their hands, opposed to batons that the riot police was carrying. And they dressed up in white. And they came out in such large numbers that it just became overwhelming. And it just continued. So the women saw, okay, there's other people going out. And they were so shocked. They formed chains of solidarity around the men that were facing riot police. And they were like really the shield of protection, the shield of innocence around this whole movement. And this is how they became the face of this revolution. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a female revolution, but I would say that women of Belarus are playing an extremely important part in all of it because they really are strong powerful, determined, but at the same time, they're incredibly peaceful and they're nonviolent and they're not armed. And all they want to show is that they can be mothers and they can be factory workers and they can be oppositional leaders. They can be anything. And of course, they can be strong and determined and, and fearful, even when facing riot police. And I think this is also an, an incredible sight of Belarusians as, as a nation, their women. You have also talked a bit about um, the obstacles you face, obviously, as democratic movement. So could you maybe describe what problems or repression actually you already have faced? And also, how do you cope with them? Um, how do you cope with the repression of the state? How does the democracy movement react to that? And what is the experience in this regard? Belarus right now is not a democracy at all because public gatherings are actively banned. There's no um, freedom of speech whatsoever and every peaceful protest is met with extreme violence from the state. So therefore, I would say it's clearly a dictatorship. So the obstacles we're facing is first and foremost, of course, the violence coming from the dictatorship. The people are trying to cope in different ways, and it's mostly by seeking solidarity and the feeling of reassurance in other people, which is why I said these little symbols that are being displayed on the streets or by other people uh, in support of the movement are crucial to sustaining the movement. When I was walking through the streets and I just saw a little white, red, white flag um, being painted on the asphalt, I felt really moved almost to tears because it feels like an underground resistance forming almost because when you go out to the street, you can be arrested. You can be arrested for little things, as I already said. And so you, you find new ways of showing that this fight is still ongoing and that there's people that are fighting alongside you and they're showing their support in different ways. And the obstacles the Belarusian are facing are mostly coming from the police the army, the riot police, uh, this is like the the most important branch in Lukashenko's regime. He has spent decades in financing this executive force that has formed around him. And I would say that these people are on one side sometimes brainwashed 
when you can use such a radical term. On the other hand, they are also benefiting from the system. I know the the salary for some of them just in the month of August was about 4,000 euros, when the regular Belarusians have a salary of about 400 euros, as I already said. And so why should they change such a system? So they remain unbroken, of course, and they go out to the streets and they see these protesters as someone who is trying to dismantle a system that is benefiting them. And of course, they're willing to go against them with force. And on the other hand, a lot of us have been asking ourselves, how can you do such horrors to your own people? Because these policemen, of course, are someone's sons, brothers, and maybe husbands. And how do they go home to their children all covered in blood and tell the children about the day that they have beaten up innocent women and seniors? And it's a little bit scary because there's lots of young men in the system that are being forced to attack their own people in the streets and when they refuse or when they try to leave, they are being punished for it. Either they're beaten or they're, um, they're being threatened. So even though a lot of people may not want to participate, the system is still relying solely on them. A friend of a friend, he was a, an active police officer and he wanted to leave. But um, they refused to let him go because if everybody leaves, who is going to support the system? So he had to flee. And this is not like boarding a plane and then waking up in another country. He had actually to run through the woods several days, actually, to get past the border to Lithuania and then seek refuge there. So it's actually like in Soviet times or in Hitler's Germany, where people were running around like partisans through the woods because they're being chased by dogs and by the regime supporters because they are not allowed to leave the system. Hearing about all this um, repression and, and the horrors that the right police and the security force of Belarus descend upon the people, why do you take the risk? Why are you doing all of this? Why are so many in Belarus losing their fear and going out for pro to protest against the regime, even though they know what consequences they might face? Well, it's, it's humanity. Really, when you're a human being that realizes that there's much more to the world than just your own being and your own well-being, and you see people suffer, may it be people close to you or just other people, you just cannot look away. And when you know that you can do something about it, it's your duty as a person of this world, in my opinion, to take up the chance, even though it's risky to to try and change the injustice that is happening around you. And I think what was the tipping point for the protesters in Belarus was really the violence they have witnessed against their own kind when they were nothing but peaceful. And this is something they just couldn't accept. They were in shock and in disbelief. And they saw that if they don't go out now, this will go unpunished. And th the system will keep on violating the rights and their minds and their bodies and will go unpunished. Surviving something like this collectively just shows you that if you don't do something, you're complacent. And Belarusians as such have found their collective courage and they went out and said, we will not take this any longer. So really, it's, it's not so much about your own well-being, but in this case, it's also about the well-being of a whole nation. It's about the well-being of your neighbor, even though this neighbor might be a Lukashenko supporter. 
even though you have nothing in common, you are from different religions and from different classes and of different genders. Maybe you supported different political views before, but you have found something that you stand up for and it's each other. And I think it's incredibly beautiful, poetic, inspiring, and um, they do inspire each other a lot. And it's actually one of the slogans in Belarus, as long as we're united, we cannot be stopped. I think this is this is what defines this whole movement. I think these were really nice last uh, words for this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, telling us about the situation in Belarus. We wish you all of the best and obviously that the democracy movement eventually succeeds and that you can build up a free and democratic society in your country. And well, yeah, we urge everybody else to not let you down and also not forget about the people of Belarus because obviously it has seized a bit from the media attention over the last weeks now, um, also with the second wave of the coronavirus. But I think it is so important to keep that on top of mind. So yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. It um, was a very interesting conversation and um, I wish you all the best and I wish the democracy movement all the best to succeed and to liberate Belarus. Thank you very much again for having me. It was nothing but a pleasure to be part of this podcast and to tell people a little bit about the situation in our home country and to represent, of course, um, the Belarusians here. Yeah, it was it was delightful. Thank you very much.